0: Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. I have two other podcasts out there. From John to Justin, which releases every single Friday and looks at Canada's political history, and Pucks and Cups, which releases every Tuesday and looks at the early hockey history of Canada. I do all of these podcasts full-time, the writing, the research, everything, so every dollar you give helps keep it all going, and I make sure I thank you all on the air and throughout my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at canada You can find me on Twitter, my handle is craig baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok at bairdo37. You can also find my weekly YouTube videos at youtube.com slash c slash Canadian History X. And remember, that's E-H-X. The area that would be settled and named Humboldt was the territory of many different Indigenous nations long before Europeans arrived in the area. These nations included the Cree, the Blackfoot, and the Anishinabe. The area was used by the Indigenous for centuries thanks to the abundance of game, including the northern reaches of the territory of the Bison. As French fur traders started to migrate into the area looking for furs, they would help to create a brand new culture that would have a major impact on the future area of Humboldt, the Métis. The start of Humboldt began as nothing more than a telegraph station on the Carlton Trail, which was a wagon route used by settlers and traders that ran from Fort Gary, which was future Winnipeg, and Fort Edmonton to the west. In 1875, the name Humboldt was applied to the repair station built just to the southwest of the present community. It was named for Alexander von Humboldt, a German explorer who lived from 1769 to 1859 and helped to lay the foundation for modern geomagnetic and weather monitoring. In 1878, the Humboldt Telegraph Station was an integral part of the communication in the developing west. Humboldt, despite being a hundred kilometers away from the action during the 1885 Northwest Resistance, still played an important role. During the few months that the resistance was fought, Humboldt was the only connection between the Canadian forces and Sir John A. Macdonald in Ottawa. The Montreal Gazette would report, quote, "A mounted messenger left Prince Albert for Humboldt, and he reports everything quiet and satisfactory." End quote. West of Humboldt, the telegraph lines were all cut. As a result of this, it was an important site of significance. To ensure that it did not fall into the hands of the Métis forces, General Frederick Middleton was placed at the station in April 1885 with 950 soldiers. He would use the station as his base for scouting. The following month, on May 1st, 1885, Humboldt served as a supply depot under Major Lieutenant Colonel G.T. Denison, who had a force of 460 men there. Following the Battle of Batoche and the end of the resistance, the troops would leave the station in July of 1885. Rumor has it, after the troops left, the area of Humboldt, along the Carlton Trail, would see the first stagecoach robbery in Canadian history, although there's very little information related to this. In 1903, St. Peter's Abbey was established by seven Benedictine monks near Humboldt. In the area, there were over 700 homesteads of German-Roman Catholic immigrants and this abbey would serve as an important place for their spiritual needs. From 1909 to 1910, St. Peter's Cathedral was built, and in 1919 it was decorated in stunning detail by artist Berthold Imhoff. In 1921, the abbey became the territorial abbey of St. Peter Münster. In 2008, the abbey became a Canadian registered historical place, and the abbey continues to operate in its home to 18 Benedictine monks today. In 1904, the Canadian Northern Railway would be built through the area, and with the railway coming through, Humboldt gained a new station. And that station continues to sit in the community to this day. Even today, the station has several railway buildings, warehouses, and grain elevators clustered around it. And in 1992, the station was made a Heritage Railway station. Concerning the arrival of the railroad, the Ottawa citizen would state, Humboldt, on the main line, was at the end of steel on the 2nd of September last. The grading, siding, and a small teepee were all there was to Humboldt then. A week later, the rails were down and the town was on the market. Within a few months of September, $18,000 worth of lots were sold on the opening day of selling and $60,000 over the next 60 days. This amounts to about $450,000 and $1.5 million today. The article continues stating Despite the fact that Canada has only lately been discovered, the record of the Canadian National Railway is one of continuous progress. End quote. In 1907, Humboldt would become incorporated, and this would fuel a great deal of development. New residents soon began to arise, and the community started to expand. In 1911, the Humboldt Post Office would be built, featuring a large clock tower that helped to make the building a focal point in the community. This new building would include a customs house, a telegraph office, and the post office, which showed the importance of the community in the eyes of the federal government. This two-and-a-half-story building features a double entrance, and the windows are designed in a Romanesque style to give it a unique look in the community. The building would also include the office for the commanding officer of the RCMP in the area, and from 1935 to 1964, it also had the living quarters for the RCMP. The local Humboldt police force also kept an office there during the 1940s. The building stands to this day and in 1977 it was made a National Historic Site of Canada. In 1914 Humboldt needed to deal with its water issues and it did that by building the Humboldt Water Tower which would serve as a surface water supply for the community for decades. The water tower is similar to those built in Cairobert and Weyburn around the same time. Its look is similar to that of a coastal lighthouse and it's built of wood and steel. Today, it is just one of four similar types of water towers to remain in Saskatchewan, and in 2007, it was made a municipal heritage property. Also in 1914, construction began on the new Humboldt Provincial Courthouse. Unfortunately, the First World War soon broke out, and that put a pause on construction, and it would not be until 1920 that the courthouse was finished. Built in an Edwardian classical style, it is one of only two provincial buildings in Saskatchewan to be combined with courthouse and land titles building. It remains an important building in the community to this day, and in 1984 it was made a municipal heritage property. The total construction of the new water tower and sewage system in the community would cost $150,000 or $3.5 million today. Located near Humboldt, there is the beautiful Mount Carmel Shrine built in 1922 on land donated to the St. Peter's Abbey by John Bunko the year previous. The land was dedicated by the Abbot of St. Peter's and was called Our Lady of Mount Carmel, which would become the patroness of St. Peter's Colony. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about Explornet. i spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of Explornet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom and uploading content. Through it all, Explornet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. Explornet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 18662852253 In 1922 the first pilgrimage was held to the shrine and from 1922 to 1954 upwards of 6000 people would take part in the pilgrimage each year In 1948 during the Family Rosary Crusade 12000 people took to the pilgrimage In 2002 during the Catholic World Youth Day in Toronto when Pope John Paul II visited 1500 people took part in the pilgrimage In 2012, the 90th pilgrimage would be held and 450 people would take part. And you can still visit this stunning site to this day. At the site in 1928, a 14-foot high foundation was built and an 8-foot high and an 8-foot tall white marble statue of Mary holding Jesus, which was made in Italy, was placed on top. A chapel would be built in 1938 and in 1939, the 14 stations of the cross were built leading up to the shrine. No mention of Humboldt can be complete without talking about Glenn Hall, also known as Mr. Goalie. Hall had been born in Humboldt on October 3, 1931. After playing for the Humboldt Indians and in the Windsor Spitfires, he would be signed by the Detroit Red Wings in 1949. He would spend his first few years of professional hockey playing in the minor league system of Detroit, and in 1952 he was called up during the playoffs to serve as a backup during the Stanley Cup Final. He would not play a single NHL game, but he still got his name on the Stanley Cup when the Red Wings won. Hall would eventually crack the lineup in 1955-56 and would go on to win the Calder Memorial Trophy that season. After a second season playing every game for the Red Wings, Hall was traded to the Chicago Blackhawks with Ted Lindsay in what was seen as a retaliation for forming a players' union. It was with Chicago that Hall would have his greatest success. He would play for the Blackhawks until 1966-67, when he was claimed by the St. Louis Blues in the expansion draft, and he would then play for St. Louis until 1970-71, when he retired. After his Stanley Cup win in 1961, he returned to Humboldt for a big celebration in his honour, and he would say at the event which his parents also attended, quote, Each year when the hockey season ends, I look forward to returning home. After all, I had my start in hockey here, coached by Humboldt men such as Ronnie Ward and Leo Parker when I was learning the game. This will always be home to me." During his career, Hall would play in 13 NHL All-Star games, win the Vezina Trophy three times, the Conn Smythe Trophy once, and the Stanley Cup in 1952, 1961, and 1989, the last time as a goalie coach with the Calgary Flames. He holds the NHL record for the most consecutive games started by a goaltender with 502 games, and he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1975. In 1998, he ranked 16th on the Hockey News list of the 100 Greatest Hockey Players of All Time, and in 2017, he was named one of the 100 Greatest NHL Players Ever. In Humboldt, there is a permanent monument to Hall in the form of Glen Hall Park along Glen Hall Drive. Stopping the puck is is what matters. That's why goalkeepers are relatively simple. They only have to think of one thing, and... Let's stop the puck. In those days, hockey was a poor man's sport, and I think we, coming from Saskatchewan, we qualified very well, and uh, and we couldn't believe that the rich kids didn't play hockey. They didn't, they really weren't that interested, and we thought that everybody had to be interested in playing hockey. When I really settled down in goal, I was probably 10, 12 years old. If you played on a a poor team? Well, there was lots of action around, and that's what you enjoyed about the game. In 1956, the McNabb flour mill would be destroyed in a terrible fire. Built in 1913, the structure was an important part of the community, and it helped to fuel its growth throughout the early part of the 20th century. The fire was discovered at 1 p.m. on January 31st, when a worker opened the door to the mill and saw a wall of flames. The fire department responded immediately, but were unable to save the building from being destroyed. The 22,000-bushel capacity elevator at the mill was also destroyed in the fire, despite firefighters' best efforts to save the structure. The fire caused roughly $150,000 in damages, or about $1.5 million today. The Humboldt Journal would report, It is a loss to the community in several ways. It provided employment for a number of people who might possibly have to look elsewhere than Humboldt for work. It brought to town many who will now have no occasion to do business here, and it removed a pioneer industry in Humboldt, a link with the past, End quote. The new Humboldt flour mill would be rebuilt the following year. Unfortunately, we can't talk about Humboldt without talking about the terrible Humboldt Broncos bus crash that happened on April 6, 2018, when 16 people were killed and 13 injured after the team coach bus was struck by a westbound semi-trailer truck. Most of the dead and injured were players for the Humboldt Broncos hockey team. The crash would make news across Canada and the world, and a GoFundMe campaign would raise $15 million, setting a national record. Both Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe attended the memorial service at the arena on April 8th. If you would like to learn more about Humboldt, you can visit the Humboldt Museum. The museum features several exhibits, including one that is devoted to the culinary history of the community, the religious history of Humboldt and the St. Peter's Colony, as well as exhibits devoted to the businesses of the community dating back to its earliest years. You can also visit the kitchen and parlor of a pioneer home, which includes a cream separator, butter bowl, wood-burning stove, and more. There's also a natural history section that features several animals on display, including a bald eagle. Another part of the museum is the Humboldt and District Sports Hall of Fame, which features exhibits devoted to the athletes who helped put Humboldt on the map, including the aforementioned Glen Hall. You can also visit Original Humboldt, which is a self-guided site complete with art installations, interpretive storyboards, and grass trails. The entire site sits on 80 acres of land and features a replica of the 1878 Telegraph Station that served such an important role during the 1885 Red River Resistance. There's also a Red River cart, like the ones that moved along the Carleton Trail, two teepees, and the story of Chief Whitecap. There's also a replica of the Telegraph Line that used to run through the area. This is the only site in Canada that actually commemorates the Dominion Telegraph line, as well as having a site dedicated to military tents and soldiers who were stationed in the Humboldt area during the Northwest Resistance. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Humboldt, Saskatchewan. On Wednesday, we're looking at Smithers, British Columbia. If you like, you can email me at craig at You can find me on Twitter, my handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX, and you can donate to the podcast by going to -eh CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rowa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.